Tech Talk. Tech Talk. With Jess Kelly. This, this is News Talk. Yeah, you're very welcome along to Tech Talk. Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, we'll discuss ticket touts and how technology could be the solution to the issue. The team behind Gaelgore, a new app for those with the Irish language, will explain how it works. And we'll hear from the company looking to enhance the digital education of our young people. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. The iPhone 13 is now available. I've been using it for the last number of days and I suppose my first impressions are that it's almost identical to the iPhone 12 bar the camera placement and the weight. It is definitely heavier than previous versions of the phone but I don't think that's going to be a make or break point for a lot of people. Um, The cameras are incredible. I was playing around with them the other night as I was walking home from work and I was so impressed by the details it can capture even in very low light. I'm going to have a pretty comprehensive review on Tuesday's Pat Kenny show with Anton Savage. And as I said on last week's Tech Talk with Emmett Ryan, it's not a massive leap in terms of innovation. It's more like small tweaks on top of last year's model than something dramatically different. But... I will see how I get on. Uh, If you're one of the many people who queued up to get it or if you pre-ordered it, uh, I would love to hear how you're getting on. Was it worth the cash? Uh, Techtalk at Newstalk.com is the email address. But we're going to kick off this week with ticket touting. This is an issue that has been floating around for many years. There have been extensive calls for legislations and solutions to the issue of ticket reselling for ridiculous amounts of money. Uh, But Ed Sheeran is looking to address it in his own way for his upcoming tour, which is called Mathematics. Uh, Former TD Noel Rock was the man pushing for legislation here in Ireland. And he joins me now to discuss. You're very welcome back to Tech Talk. Can you just explain to us a little bit about um, where the calls for ticket touting legislation came from in Ireland? I know, and as, as I mentioned at the top, you were the man kind of pushing this through. But why do we need legislation on this front? Well, it became quite clear, Jess, over the course of a number of years that more and more often what was happening was secondary markets online were effectively cornering the ticketing market by virtue of allowing people to get advanced access to tickets before they went on sale to the general public in greater and greater numbers. Often up to one third of tickets were going on sale on advanced pre-sale sites that people could only access with a password. People were snapping up those tickets in great volumes with the sole intention of selling them on at an inflated price to the normal punter. Obviously, this is incorrect and unacceptable. Ticket touting has always existed to a certain extent, but it was clear that the volume of ticket touting for predictably popular events, uh, for predictably popular artists or particularly, you know, popular matches and what have you, um, you know, were becoming a bigger and bigger problem. So accordingly, um, there was clearly a need to address this. Now, ideally, you would do it via technology rather than via legislation. But it, it seems to be the case that the technology simply wasn't being exercised. And occasionally you'd have the odd artist like Ed Sheeran, for example, as a good example of somebody who themselves set the direction by saying that touted tickets wouldn't be accepted for their concerts. Um, so that was the case for the previous round of Ed Sheeran concerts some years ago now as well. And um, so that was, you know, a rare case of an artist with a lot of clout 
being able to bend and mold the industry to his will to an extent. But it became clear that for the vast majority of popular concerts, that would not be the case. So there was a question mark then over, you know, do you legislate and intervene here? And that was the direction uh, the government decided to go down. Yeah, so I I understand the need um, for this. I remember years ago, like years and years ago, I really wanted to go see U2. And the only place that I could find a ticket was on a website. And it was, I think, three or four times the original uh, face value. And I was just like, I actually can't justify spending that kind of money. And I think a lot of us will have had those encounters when there's a band, an artist, a team playing that you really, really want to go and see. You are caught in that place of, oh, sure, look, it's only money. But at the same time, it's not right. So I appreciate the need for it. What I don't understand, however, is how we're still facing the issues that we're facing now. So I was on to Ticketmaster earlier in the week and they sent over a statement to explain that the rules that are in place for this uh, bout of Ed Sheeran uh, gigs. And I just want to read part of it briefly because this, I think, is, is a critical issue. And it says... Uh, in relation to purchasing tickets as a gift, the matching ID of the surname of the lead booker will be an entry requirement. The tickets bought by that person can be used for other people as long as they all arrive with the lead booker. If you want to buy tickets as gifts, then you'll also need to attend with your recipients to the show. Now, that's surely not workable in every case. How do we not have a technological solution to this problem that means that my mum and dad don't have to go to a gig with me if they buy me tickets for something for Christmas? Yeah, it's a very valid question. And I mean, this comes at the intersection, if you like, of legislation and technology, whereby the, 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 the if you like, provision or the guarantee that the lead booker attends with the other uh, ticket holders, um, that wasn't set down in legislation at all. It's not necessarily required under the legislation. What is required under the legislation ultimately is that the person who bought the ticket originally or a secondary person who has the ticket transferred to them, that they ultimately only paid face value for that ticket. So, I mean, it, it kind of the onus, I suppose, is on concert promoters, uh, concert holders, etc., etc., to devise these technological solutions um, that are posed, if you like, in order to stick within the confines of, of, of the legislation. And to date, they haven't been able to do that. And that's a pity, because obviously, you know, there are many ways of transferring things between individuals on their phones. You know, money is an obvious one uh, where we can do it instantaneously now. So it seems unclear to me why tickets can't be transferred in the same way in a, you know, safe, verified, uh, above board sort of way. Yeah, that that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, You know, when this cropped up on Friday morning, I was just thinking... I could revolute someone money and they would get it within seconds and it would come up that Jessica Kelly has sent you whatever amount of money. So you would have that digital paper trail as such. And so I, I kind of can't fathom how te- like big businesses such as concert promoters, such as individual artists, such as the ticketing companies haven't invented that type of technology whereby if I bought tickets to Ed Sheeran but I can't go anymore... And no, you give me the money to cover the tickets, I can then send them to you. And there would be that digital paper trail. So you could look back at the history to see that Jess Kelly bought them, but then she transferred them to No Rock and No Rock is the person attending. I genuinely can't figure it out because it would solve so many issues. Yeah, precisely. And I mean, like, you know, we often talk 
on-panel programs about you know um, blockchain nfts and what have you and in a way we can see that that technology could be utilized to jump forward a step in order to allow and facilitate the transfer of an asset i.e a ticket uh, which is ultimately a token a ticket is ultimately a token for entry i mean the physical ticket doesn't matter as such what matters is the entry and we could see as well very clearly in that paper trail if you like how much uh, you know uh, has been transferred in exchange for that ticket um so the technologies are there um it's whether the willingness is there or not to build out from there do you think that the um that the, the procedure in place now for this Ed Sheeran gig do you think that that we will not have a single instance of touting or gouging as i call it uh, when it comes to when it comes to this particular tour because of these measures i think it'll dramatically minimize the amount of touting or gouging as you called um i don't think necessarily any law is perfect you know we have anti-speeding laws and people still speed we have anti-drugs laws people still do drugs and so we have anti-touting laws i imagine people will still find a way to tout but i think it will reduce uh, the amount of it that happens quite dramatically i think it'll reduce that kind of corporate touting that was taking place where people were snapping up kind of you know 100 tickets using 20 different debit or credit cards and trying to flip those the day they went on sale officially to the the general public and i think it'll dramatically reduce all those instances but will it entirely eliminate it i i wouldn't bet on it if we go back to the point on legislation again you know some we all kind of know the the websites that were key culprits in the reselling of tickets for ridiculous prices and no guarantee that you'd be able to use that ticket to get into whatever gig you were going to. Could we not just ban those websites from existence and not put extra pressures or hurdles up there for the average consumer who just wants to go see Ed Sheeran? In essence, that would bring about uh, competition problems then if you started to uh, highlight particular uh, companies or, 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 or businesses without there being a, a sort of a universal principle applied. I mean, without me naming names, what's the difference between me uh, putting a ticket up at a vastly inflated price on a more general buying and selling website rather than on a specific ticket selling website? There would be no difference. And naturally, if we just shut down or banned the ticket selling websites, they, they would they would take the state to court and you know you'd imagine they would win in that regard so you know any principle has to be somewhat universally applied under legislation and this was the the solution that was, was devised ultimately um it remains to be seen if it'll work obviously in this moment um you know the world isn't quite back to normal yet and you know concerts aren't really functioning in a normal way um but we, we remain optimistic that it will work or it will at least dramatically reduce um the problem I remember listening to you talk to Andrea Gilligan on Lunchtime Live a few months ago about the whole notion of this legislation and how it could work and so on. And I think a text came in asking, you know, will the legislation not just push this sort of stuff underground a little bit, you know, into maybe darker corners of the internet, not quite the dark web, but you know what I mean? Like less obvious fronts. Um, so avoiding those obvious websites and so on. D- does the legislation... It's like, will it solve the problem? Or as you said there a second ago, will it just minimise it and people will still get away with it to a certain extent? Well, like I said, I think there are laws in place in other sectors, right? Uh, if you look at, you know, anti, anti-drugs laws, like I said, anti-drink driving laws, anti-speeding laws, uh, where, you know, these things, they all depend on enforcement and they all depend on, on vigilance. Um, so, you know, no law is perfect in that regard. Um, and I think it'll probably be the same with regard to ticket touting, ultimately. Um, I think for the most part, 
there's a bit of ambiguity or there always has been a bit of ambiguity where a lot of people all, uh, thought this activity was already illegal um but actually it's only ever the terms and conditions of the ticket say it shouldn't be sold for above face value it's not actually against the law or it wasn't until recently to sell them for above face value and um, so i think you know even that change the fact that it's now illegal if you like to to sell uh, such a thing um, I think will discourage the vast majority of people who ultimately, it seems, saw it as a way of, of making a quick book, basically. Um, I don't think anyone would be interested in, you know, potentially getting a, in trouble or on the wrong side of the law uh, just for making a few quid off tickets. The other thing I was wondering is the, the legislation and, you know, the rules that artists like Ed Sheeran, I think Taylor Swift did something similar. There's other artists who have put measures in place to try and protect fans, which I do appreciate. But I do wonder that this is just kind of targeting and it's putting hurdles in place for the majority because of the minority. And Mm -hmm. there has to be something that is less intrusive on the majority that will still protect the fans who don't get tickets first time round. Yeah, I think it it seems like, say, for instance, in this Ed Sheeran case here, it seems like the rules are quite onerous and somewhat difficult to comply with and somewhat complex in a way, in a way that maybe the legislation wouldn't have envisaged. Um, but what I imagine happened in the case of the Ed Sheeran tour, because it is ultimately a tour, is that there were universal principles devised for the sale of tickets in, in both the UK and Ireland, um, notwithstanding the fact that we have legislation here already uh, to ultimately protect consumers and, and minimise the amount of touting. You know, Ed Sheeran and his people and the, the, the concert organisers and promoters have made a decision to put an additional layer, if you like, of, of, of if you want to call it protection on top of that um, which has made it quite difficult or, or onerous um, for fans to, to get access to these tickets maybe or at least to, if for example you were buying them as a gift to, to offload that gift to the right people um, so that's a bit of a teething problem I suppose in a way um, but hopefully it's one that will be, will be overcome uh, both on the event and in the future when concerts and concert promoters and what have you uh, pay more attention to the legislation that's in effect and and realize hopefully that it works and hopefully that they don't need to put their own layer of, of rules and regulations on top of the legislation. And so is technology the key to unlocking all that? Absolutely. I, I think so. Um, I think, you know, if, you know, there's the willingness there um, to pursue um, technological solutions to the problems or the snags that are posed by the, the 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 regulations, then I think that will be a win for everybody. I think it'll be a win for the promoters and the artists uh, who will actually get actual fans at their concerts at face value. Uh, it'll be a win for fans who will have actual access to tickets at face value. And it'll be a win for everybody, you know, people who want to gift tickets to others uh, more easily. Um, so I think that's something that I would hope um, there are some enterprising people working on right now. Yeah, I would love to hear what you think. Techtalk at Newstalk.com is the email address. Noel, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on Newstalk. Thanks, Jess. Tech Talk. Tech Talk. Rate and subscribe. Welcome back to Tech Talk. Jess Kelly with you here on Newstalk. Tech Talk at Newstalk.com is the email address if you would like to get in touch. Or you'll find me on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. Uh, earlier this week, we put out yet another episode of Tech Bytes. I think this was episode four. And it was looking at the Nokia X or 20. Uh, this is a mid-tier phone. It's around €450 euro, and it's said to be incredibly durable. 
So I put that to the test. I did the drop test and I dunked it in some water. Uh, and if you head on over to YouTube uh, and search for Newstalk, you will find how I got on with that. Uh, but yeah, safe to say I was stressed but impressed by using it. Um, I liked it a lot. So there you go. So if you have a bit of time, head on over, hit subscribe and you will get every episode as it lands. Ola's Education is an Irish company looking to enhance the digital abilities of our young people, ensuring they have valuable skills that will stand to them in the long run. Gavin Malloy is the Chief Product Officer at Ola's Education and he joins me now. Uh, Gavin, welcome back to the show. Can you just start by explaining Ola's a little bit further? Yeah, sure. So Ola's Education is a, a company to support learning for, edu- for technology and education. We support core digital skills in primary and secondary schools, as well as offering higher level uh, training to to students who want to do extracurricular work outside of school. We do it through, we've got, I guess, got three main ways of doing this, which is blended learning. Uh, We have an online training portal and yeah, it's, it's really all focused on offering be able to future-proof education at every single level of where, where tech exists and where the shortcomings are at the moment. How does that coincide or does it overlap or does it fill a gap with the, the standard um, school curriculum? Yeah, so we, we've just come out of our initial uh, digital strategy for schools and the government is currently working on, uh, they're in the consultation phase for the next one, uh, and the digital strategy is really a, about you know using technology right across the curriculum. So you know, technology is a learning tool, not something you learn; it's something you, you use to learn. So whether it be you know using Google Workspace, which now everyone is really familiar with, an Office three six five during school closures, that kind of you know, more traditional cloud based computing, or your creative media like film or eBooks or even animation, that kind of stuff or uh, that all fits in really neatly across the curriculum uh, for, for schools. And then coding, of course, now is on, is on the Leaving Cert curriculum and it's coming into primary schools soon as well. So we, we, we fit in right the way across the curriculum. And I guess the most important thing for us is the way we fit in is that we, we really see schools as a place where everyone should be able to earn, learn at least like the core basic skills so for us, I mean, and globally, this this is an issue. So for us, it's a way of finding a way to, you know, empower teachers that, in a way, every single student gets a chance to do it. So I mean, that that's that's an ongoing challenge, but it's uh, it's it does it does fit into the curriculum, and it's something we're working hard to make sure we can support. But does that mean then that? I'm I'm kind of curious as to how you engage with students and how students engage with you. Is it all done after school hours, or do you slot in with the, the school timetable? Yes. So I mean, we work we work I guess in two really distinct ways with with the, with schools and with kids. First of all, we work in a teacher training capacity where we we work with the teachers over a period of time, provide them with content, lesson plans, and training across the different digital areas. And then the teachers train the kids themselves. But we also have a, a brand new launch now with, with the new company. We have a brand new student portal so the kids can actually log in themselves. And everything we do from Google Workspace to coding to creating ebooks, the kids can actually teach this to themselves, which is, a, which is our huge offering because, you know, 
when you, when we talk about globally that the lack of digital skills, we talk about the need for for teacher training. It's such a huge thing, and it's such a it's as hard as teachers are working. It's a really it's a very specialized skill for them to catch up on, and you know it it's it means a lot of children are are being left out while different barriers are there. But now with our new portal, there really are no barriers there because every single kid can literally log in and get exactly what they need to do, learn these essential skills. And at the same time, then this syncs with the portal we have for teachers as well. So no matter what the confidence level of a teacher, they have all the planning they need that goes exactly with what, what the kids are doing. You mentioned things like coding there at the top. So what are the, the different skills that kids can learn and how is it broken down? Is it broken down by age or is it by digital literacy or what way does it work? Yeah, so I mean, again, we in schools, we really focus on, on the core skills. Now, we do go all the way up to, to leaving certain really complex complex skills, but our key focus in schools is ensuring everyone gets at least the core basic skills and is able to use them across the curriculum. But then we do have extracurricular uh, work as well, a programs as well, where, where students or children can sign up uh, and work at home, so totally separate to school. And that's really, uh, that's one of our, our big, big uh, offerings as well which is, it's a 10-year program you know, that brings children from age seven all the way through to industry and university standard of, of computer science. One of the things I've mentioned on the show in the past is that uh, when I was in fourth class in primary school there was an exchange teacher who came over um, from China and she was with our class for a while and one of the things that she taught me was how to touch type and that's a skill that I use every single day and I look around and I see people who are my age and younger and older who don't know how to touch type properly. They don't know how to place their hands and stuff like that. That small skill stood to me more than most of the other stuff I learned in primary school. And so it shows that there is a value to, to having digital literacy, to having digital skills, to having digital competency. Are we there yet in terms of appreciating that or is it still something that the tech sector is very aware of the people who are technically minded are very aware of but we still have to bridge the gap with the rest of society yeah i i I think you know it is a case where increasingly we're becoming aware of it um and i think society is is a great word to use because i think you know as parents as children as teachers it as as the government we all like need to really place the emphasis on this that is needed because still you know the core subjects are the ones like the traditional core subjects English Irish maths they are the ones that, that get all that get all the real focus in schools um and I think we, we do need to realize that you know the, the gap that exists between what our children are leaving school the skills they're leaving school with what the jobs market actually wants like it's 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 increasingly day by day week by week it, it's becoming you know, just just something that the children the children don't have this the skills basically that are needed to, to move to move into this 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 jobs market, and you know it's I, I think it's the teachers especially in Ireland I think do a fantastic job. Uh, the OECD report that said we're out of thirty six countries we've the we've the lowest funding, um, uh, for education here. Yet we have if you move up along the food chain we actually have one of the highest rates for for third level um graduate for third level graduates so we're 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 doing a fantastic job i think what we need to do going back to your question is we just need to really put technology in, into the forefront here and really appreciate just how important it is in terms of accessing education immediately 
and in terms of, of providing you know uh, the right graduates from school for, for the jobs market and, and securing Dublin as what well, it's meant to be known as the Silicon Valley of Europe um, so we do you know we need to meet the future proof education we need to ensure we're providing uh, like providing opportunities for teachers and for students to, to, to latch on to these skills and to, to, to get the core skills through the likes of our our online portal um, different blended learning offerings and yeah and, and to just just make sure that we we are you know building and, and closing that gap between graduates and and the the uh, the, 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 call it, the the corporate sector I mm. mean Craig Fenton, who's Google's director of strategy and operations, he had a post on LinkedIn recently where he basically said there isn't much intersection at all between what business needs and what the school system teaches. He did go on to, to praise teachers, but I think it's, you know, it's, it's widely acknowledged that we do need to really emphasize technology and build on, on the strengths we have here in, in our education system. One of the issues, though, um, and one of perhaps the barriers for kids in certain parts of the country and in certain parts of society when it comes to technology is access to technology because not every home has a laptop or a tablet or even smartphones um, for for kids to be able to use to interact with technology so how do we get around that one? Um, it, it's, it comes back to I guess to uh, it's it, well, firstly it's such a, it's such a case by case basis really isn't it but as if we're to look at it as a as a national situation i guess it comes back to what i said a moment ago about our schools being ranked lowest out of 36 countries in terms of the funding they get so you know if we can at least we have to focus on where we can ensure things are happening so if we can fund the schools properly if we can give teachers a chance you know to and give them the devices then no matter what a, a, an individual child's home situation might be like at least we can guarantee they're getting their hands on this hands on this ex- essential technology in the classroom and then like i said like with, with offerings like ours where we are targeting ways of ensuring that you know each individual child is no matter what is actually capable of going and learning these skills by, by using our, our portal and accessing lessons directly accessing skills directly it means you, you are removing all these barriers because these barriers always exist and always will exist. You know, a child may not have something at home. They may have a new teacher. The teacher may not have the, the tech training required. Um, I mean, there's a stat that 82% of, of English teachers didn't have the tech training required when the schools first closed for COVID to actually provide um, online learning. Um, so I mean, like that kind of stuff is, is frightening um, and we just need to yeah, I mean, I mean the, the, looking at investment in schools is 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 a is one way we can guarantee that every single child, no matter what their home situation is like, can learn at least these core skills. And and, and that's one of our big messages: is that you know, if they can just if we can just aim for everybody to access these core basic digital skills in school, you know, they can create a Google Drive folder, they can they can share a folder, they can upload stuff to the folder, they can create some basic coding projects. They know how to, how, to, how to document their learning, create basic videos. If we can make sure that everybody has these skills and then provide a way, um, as we do at OLIS, uh, provide a way for these children to who want to go beyond that in an extracurricular way, then we know that no matter what a person's situation is like within reason, we are, you know, we're giving the opportunities that each child needs and that this country needs to drive everything forward. 
Yeah, absolutely. Another point that I I think about quite a lot, um, and that is for the kids who may not think of themselves as being techie. Um, we've seen great transformation in the world of STEM in recent years and the, the transition from STEM to STEAM. So including that artistic, um, you know, part of technology, engineering, maths and science. That to me is something that's incredibly important to ensure that no kid discounts themselves from the industry or the potentials of the industry before they even start. Is that something that features in how you present the learnings on OLIS and when you engage with students and teachers? Uh, yeah, I mean, creativity is... And, and and the arts. I mean, it's it's such. It, it's actually my own personal background. It's where I came from. Like uh, uh, art was a leading sort of subject. I did multimedia and video production throughout college. Uh, so the creative side of things is is my own personal background. And I think being able to you know, use tech in a creative way is 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 something that's you know really essential. And, and the tech. It, yeah, you're right. I mean, but some, sometimes people of all ages will look at technology um, as, as this kind of scary, scary beast, especially when it comes to more technical stuff like, like coding. Um, but I, I'm I'll massively misquote here, but James Dyson, I'm reading his uh, biography at the moment, and he talks about if people could just, you know, uh, stop being scared by engineering and look at a problem, have accept that whatever the problem might be, a piece of code or, you know, trying to design uh, a, a simple machine, you know, just give it a go, fail, look at your failure, enjoy that, and realize that it's all part of a creative process. You know, you know get your brain firing in different directions and see, see how you're going to get there. So don't look at it as, I must get this right. Look at it as a creative process. Look at failures as a next step toward, um, toward getting it right. And yeah, to, to really embrace creativity. Uh, yeah, it's something that's really core with us is is that creativity and um, you know throughout our, our teacher training throughout our, our student-led learning on the portals it's you know we're really you know challenging students and teachers at, at every possible point to to think uh to challenge themselves and to get creative in, in how they're going to use technology so you know, we don't just you know, do a do b do c we introduce I me mean, my own background is, is in teaching after after I did my media studies, it was in teaching. So we're very much into, you know, how the thought process works and how technology is used, not just how to use it. Um, so it's getting it into the curriculum, getting someone's creative way of doing things, whether, whether they're making a science experiment and documenting a science experiment, making, like building a video game or shooting shooting a film, uh, whatever it is, you know, creative, creative thinking fits in to, to absolutely every every one of these areas of technology, and anyone who can use a creative approach is going to is going to really excel. You mentioned there about you know giving kids and young people the skills to kind of future proof themselves, but also be be ready for industry when they do graduate. Are there have you noticed particular trends or what are the roles of tomorrow um, for kids who are maybe in fourth, fifth, or even sixth year now? you know, contemplating what they would like to do. Are there particular roles that are demanding particular skills that we need to ensure that we're catering for? Um, I, I, I think the most important part about this is, um, and I wrote about this recently, is not to be training children for jobs anymore, 
per se, because the jobs market is moving so incredibly quickly that the national curriculum couldn't possibly keep up with it. I think what we need to be focusing on is creating a more dynamic education system when it comes to, I mean, we are, as a country, I've taught here and I've taught in the UK, Irish teachers and Irish children are, are so incredibly creative. Um, but what we need to do now is get that creativity we use across other subjects, bring it into technology and create a really dynamic technology driven uh, digital strategy in schools where, you know, th the children are, are just confident picking a piece of technology, applying it in different ways and being more fluid. So when they do graduate uh, secondary school and move into university, go straight to the jobs market, they have this ability to problem solve, to use tech creatively. And like, if, if you can take those out, out of school with you, just even those two core skills, you know, you're, you're going to be ready for the jobs market. I mean, a lot, most, a lot of people have heard the stat that they, the, by 2030, 85% of the jobs that exist haven't even been invented yet. So when you consider a jobs market moving that quickly, you can't really train specifically, especially in, in primary and secondary school for any specific roles. I think it's, it's preparing your mindset and preparing how we, training how we approach the use of technology. Um, and if we can get, get confident with that and get confident with being creative and using technology for, for, for solving problems and enjoy problem solving, that's really where we need to be going. And it, it's something you mentioned before about society. It's something we need to take really seriously. Every single member of society, uh, parents, children, teachers, government, everybody, like it's, there's such a huge opportunity here uh, globally, but in Ireland, um, they're, they're very special, or very special position we hold within the world of technology. Like all the big companies are headquartered here. We are such a strong digital hub, um, and we can we can continue to build this. But there is you know the, the gap that exists between our graduates and the jobs market is no different anywhere else in the world. But personally, I believe we are one of the best located countries to actually close this gap the quickest and secure Dublin and as a really exciting city for the future and Ireland as a really exciting country for the future. Absolutely. Well, look, it's been great to chat with you. The company, again, it's called Olus Education. So it's O-L-U-S Education. Uh, the website is olusedu.com. And you've been listening to Gavin Malloy, the Chief Product Officer at Olus Education. Gavin, thanks so much for joining us here on Newstalk. You're very welcome. And yes, while, before I say goodbye, if I may, we're actually speaking, we're, uh, we are a Google partner. We're speaking at the Google Back to, Back to Schools education event next Thursday. So anyone, parents, children, teachers listening, it'll be a great event. It's on September 30th. It's online half three next Thursday, the 30th of September. So it'll be a great event for anyone who's interested in all things Google. Great stuff. Thank you again, Gavin. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Coming up next here on News Talk on Ferentive here, Dun App Nua Tech Talk. Tech Talk. Rate and subscribe. Tech Talk at Newstalk.com is the best place to go if you have any questions, comments, or you just want to say hi. Uh, as I've mentioned previously on this show and on this station, I went to a Grail school. I went to Clóis Isagon in Dublin. I then went and did Irish and Geography under an arts degree at UCD. And now here in Newstalk, I produce Splunk, uh, which is hosted by Kuano Flaherta. It's our Irish language programme. So it's safe to say uh, the Irish language has played a significant part in my development and the who and what I am today. So I was very interested to learn about a new app called Goel Gore. 
Uh, and I'm delighted to say that Luke Middleston, who is the head of technology and innovation at Datadyne, who developed the app, joins me now. Um, Luke, before we talk through the, the functionality and so on of the app, can you just give me a bit of insight into the concept, where the con- concept came from and how you got to what you have today? Yeah, of course. So it was myself and a, uh, a family friend named Noreen Breen. Um, I will be the founders. And about two years ago, we kind of had this idea to you know, rejuvenate the Irish language through a more modern, technically sound method, as opposed to the kind of old school methods used. So we came up, you know, over the space of two years, we came up with multiple ideas and how it would work, but we landed on it needs to be an applica- a mobile application um, that can go directly to, to the users. Everybody has a, either an Android or an iPhone, 99% of people do these days. So something on there where they can communicate with each other, they can find businesses with an Irish speaker and look for events in their local area. So it's all based down into, you know, the localization using your GPS and um, on your on your mobile device. Yeah, I think it's a brilliant idea. And I definitely think there is a need for it because for the longest time, and I've said this before, but when I left school and when I left college, I didn't find many outlets or opportunities to use the Irish that I have. And I think, you know, you might see people the odd time with, you know, Agum, a sticker on their notebook, or you might see someone with the phone, Yagwelga. But beyond that, there was no way to know. And you mentioned that you went through different ideas, different concepts along the way to what we have now. Was it always an app in mind and were there any features or, you know, other applications that you thought might work, but the app is probably the most user friendly? Yeah, well, we figured the app would be most user friendly. And the key thing about is to guess, like you said yourself, finding someone else who speaks Irish. So the kind of the main thing about this app of the three main functions is, as we call Law of Suez, which is where users can see on their phone people in their locality or wherever they, uh, you know, as far as they want to reach, you can go up to a thousand kilometers, but they can see other Irish speakers, connect with them and text them. So it's a way, like you said, it's like a digital phone, if you will. We actually have badges that has Laura Gwag alone, which Noreen and a few of our other um a few of our other partners have been wearing and they found a very good response to people seeing Lao Gwelgalum, whether it's in a shop on the street and people would just speak to them, not even just in the Gwelgalum, but in Dublin, even up in Belfast, there was some as far as Florida and Australia. And I believe one in Dubai um, had someone approach them after wearing the, the, the badge. So that kind of got us thinking, you know, how do we identify, much like you said, Irish speakers in your area, Irish speakers anywhere. Mm. And this is where we came up with the, GPS enabled phone, which like I said, everybody has nowadays. So that's how we moved it from being a kind of, you know, a phone or a badge to, you know, you have your phone on you and you can always flick it on. It's a very similar system you know, to like, the chat system, very similar to one like WhatsApp or Facebook, where you can interact, you can chat with them. And if you want to meet up with the person, it's all, it's all to yourself to do. So it's a great way you can turn it on and off, which is a key thing, very important. Um, but yeah, it's a great way to identify in your area or further further afoot other Irish speakers, which, mm. as you said, is, is a problem these days. You mentioned there the, the Love Suez uh, feature. What are the other key features, the key pillars of this app? Yeah, so the three three key pillars, Love Suez is, is the first one, which you'll appear if you have your, your location settings on, you'll appear on the app. Um, you can either have your profile picture, <coughs> excuse me, or a small Guayago logo. Someone could click on it, send you a message, interact with you. The second one is a MACD or events where people can uh, upload events or organizations can upload events and they'll appear on the map. The user can then set their location settings again for the MACD. So if they want to, you know, see see events on their map 
or be notified of them within a 5, 10, 50, 500 kilometer radius, they can. So, for instance, they set it to five kilometers and they're in Dublin city centre. Any any amokti that's are added within that five kilometer radius will they'll get a notification. They can click attend. They can see more information. They can click add to calendar. They can get directions to it, etc. With the the, um, the third uh, pillar would be is what we call onshore, which is where a user can can uh, put an address in for their uh, workplace of work, whether it's an office, coffee shop, bar, restaurant, anything like that. Put it in, and we use what's called geofencing technology. So when that person is on the premises, their business or cafe shop, et cetera, will appear on the map. So it's very intuitive that you, you're not going to have a situation where there's 500 businesses, you know, within your radius that are appearing on it. Only ones that have a person on the premises will appear. And so when that person leaves the premises, it comes off the map. And when they go back to work, they go, it appears back on the map. So you, you can be walking through, you can walking down the street and you know, okay, a uh, coffee shop there has someone, oh, I'll go in and speak Irish. They'll have the name, so it'll be Mary in there. Oh, Mary, yeah. And you, you can converse in Irish, you can order your coffee, you can order your pint or your dinner or anything like that. So those are the three main ones. And then within that, there is a chat system for users to communicate with each other directly. It's a nice way of bringing the the community online and connecting wherever in the world they are. Um, in terms of developing this app, you know, I know from having spoken to a number of developers over the years, a number of founders, CEOs, people who are going out uh, to, uh, to work on a new venture, they often do quite a bit of market research and suss out what's out there at the moment, what, you know, the customer, their target customer would like to see and how they can best cater to that. Did you do a lot of market research before you set out? Yes, we did indeed. We actually did a large survey, which had over a thousand responses to it from from my, my memory. And we had a breakdown of, would you use a mobile application like this? Would you use certain functions? And we listed out about 10 different functionalities that we thought would be the best, part, best place to it. And kind of for version one, which is what we built now, we thought, right, let's just go for the top three. And then we can work on further ones. And funnily enough, I believe number four is a Tinder, you know, a dating app for people who speak Irish. So that could be down the line, which could be a very, very fun one to build, to be honest. But those are the top three functionalities after the thousand or so responses we got and from paper responses as well as SurveyMonkey. So, yeah, the market research was good. We approached a number of um, uh, Irish language organizations in, in Ireland, some good, some bad responses. But... It came down to the wire that, you know, with my, my background owning a uh, developing company, we were able to do it at a low cost, which cost a lot of time to us, but we were able to do it at a, a much better rate um, than, you know, someone who's hiring a company, mm-hmm. per se. So, yeah, the market research went in over the course of maybe a year, year and a half to make sure that, you know, there is a market for people we use, that people are interested in it. And it was funny reading through it. it we thought, you know, the kind of 18 to 35 market would be the biggest one. People of all ages were very interested in it. Um, and I speak from, you know, my own father, for instance, is very, very good with his, like, fantastic his phone, as good as anybody else. Would be, and he's very excited to try it. He's been helping us develop it and test it. So it's really aimed at every market now. Um, and then the further ones, we have plans for version two, version three to come down the line. We're hoping the version one takes off, gets a lot of users and people, you know, enjoy it and use it. That's the biggest thing for us is that, it gets people use it um, and people find a big benefit from it and helps rejuvenate the Irish language and, like I said, in a more modern way. 
Yeah, absolutely. The app is called Girl Gore, so it's G-A-E-L-G-O-E-R. It's available on iOS and Android. You mentioned there, Luke, just about the the development time. Uh, Anyone who knows anything about development, you can either do a rush job or you can do a good job and it can take time and it can be frustrating and you could be sweating the small stuff, but the small stuff turns out to be the big stuff. So just talk me through the development of some of those features that you've mentioned, the three key features they are all technologically complex enough to ensure that they work well and it's intuitive for the user. So how was the experience of actually building it? Well, I, I assume I, I can't use any uh, profanities or co- coarse language. Ideally on this not. Course, the, uh, I, yeah, yeah, no, I, let, let's leave those out. I, I have quite a lot of experience in running my uh, development teams around the globe. So, yeah, it was, let's let's call it fun in an annoying sort of way, but it was, no, it was very good. It was some new technology that I was not, on, I didn't have on hands experience with, but my, we have a very good team in Datadine and with Gregor. So yeah, it, it was difficult. Um, a lot of, a lot of uh, hills to climb, a lot of problems coming up at the moment. Like if the plan is uh, launching within the next coming days, it'll be available on both the Play Store and App Store. It's just under final review from Google and Apple, which even those processes can be painstaking, can take a week, two weeks sometimes. But the final final hurdle is here, and we're just hoping to get this cleared and have a a, a go live date would be the is is what we're looking for at the moment. But it was it was yeah it was difficult, especially separating because there's actually three inter, three different interactive maps on the on the application. So there's one to see other users, and there's one to see businesses, and then there's one to see events. So separating them out and ensuring that you can toggle your distances and notifications for each of them was quite complex but we thought you know what if we, if we don't nail version one people aren't going to use it so we wanted to make sure we deliver the best possible product so took our took our time whilst also making sure the whips were cracked to for delivery dates um, but yeah fun and games I think is probably the the light-hearted nice way to put it but <laughs> I think you know yourself what, what I think any other developer developer or development manager listening here will know exactly what I mean. Mm. Um, in terms of, the, from the business point of view, is this app free or how does the company behind Grailgore make money? Yeah, so the app is free to download. Um, at the moment, we to move into version two, there are some uh, sections where we will be looking for potentially, you know, for business contributions, for government contributions, for grants. Um, so that will be you know, version two and beyond. For the moment, we just kind of built this as a present to Ireland almost. You know, we just wanted to, Noreen, Noreen would be my, my other partner and Siobhan and Sean and Phelan and all these other people just have a, an amazing grasp and love of the Irish language. And we all just put our, you know, put our abilities and put our, what we could do as a team to build this app and to give it as a gift at the start. There's no, there's no money, there's no money coming in on our end for the, for the time being anyway, but we'd be looking to also introduce, you know, um, courses, learning modules, um, other things like that down the line that maybe on, um, maybe, char- maybe a, a chargeable feature. Cool. Well, look, as I said, I'm very happy to see an app like this come along. I think it has huge potential and I do think it's something that even if you only have a coupon fuckle, you should download it, put it onto your phone, interact with it, see if you get any benefit from it, see uh, if you have any ideas for suggestions, because I'm sure Luke and the team will be interested in that kind of feedback. The app is called Gore and it will be available on both iOS and Android when it is officially launched. Uh, Luke Middleton, thank you so much for your time. No problem, anytime. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, yeah, hope hope the launch goes well and look forward to any feedback anybody gives. And if there is any 
Gwilgory out there who wants to lend a hand in any way. We are a volunteer organization at the moment, so don't, he don't hesitate to get in contact with olish at gwilgore.e. That's the email address you can find it on the website, gwilgore.e. Brilliant stuff. Thanks for that, Luke. Uh, that is all we have time for this week. If you missed any of the show, you can, of course, listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. If you hit subscribe, every episode will land on your device automatically every Friday. John Fardy's up next here on News Talk. I'll chat to you next week.